Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Good afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your day's been going well, and we're going to have a great hour. Guy Talk is underway in just seconds. I've got a power panel of uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner, George Fraser, Mark Senius, and myself, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Let us know whatever topics you might like us to tackle. It can be just about anything. 877-933-2484 would be the text and text only today. Again, 877-933-2484. We're open to whatever it is you'd like us to discuss. You know in the past we're not afraid of anything, uh, but we'll do our very best to uh, tackle any subject. So we'll take a short break and get uh, Guy Talk underway. What do I want for my kids? I don't know, but I certainly don't want them to be people of character, give me grandkids, and find fulfillment in what they do each day. Said no parent ever. As our Heavenly Father, God has great plans for you, and He can make it happen. That's the basis of our hope. When you give to Faith Radio, you're supporting this movement of hope, giving brighter futures to all who hear. Find out more and give today at MyFaithRadio.com. Facing the future with confidence, because Jesus is our living hope. I have this hope in the depth of my God has been faithful to us for 70 years, and we know He will continue to give us hope and a future for many more. Faith Radio. Seems like a pretty good introduction for Guy Talk. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. That's well, us. That's us. Welcome to the show. We've got George <laughs> Fraser, Dr. Peter Capture, and Mark Senius, and myself. Let us know whatever topic you'd like us to tackle, 877-933-2484. Uh, first off, gentlemen, uh, welcome. Thank you. Bill. Yeah, thank, you. Yeah. thank you so much. Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, corporate worship the other day, and it's a it's a topic that I, I go back and forth on because I grew up uh, Catholic and I sang in the boys' choir and this beautiful sound of a resonating choir was always so meaningful and sacred to me. And then all of a sudden, uh, I remembered the days when there was congregational singing and you would hear these robust male voices, the baritones and the tenors and the basses. And, and now it seems, and I'm not being critical of anything, that there's an extremely loud band with extremely loud instrumentation and there's now no men singing, or you can't mm-hmm. hear their voices. Mm-hmm. They're singing less, and, and you can't hear them. And I think there's something missing there, guys. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it sure seems to be increasingly, in light of what you're saying, Bill, a bit of an individualized experience, I know. And again, not 
as you said, I don't want to be critical, but I, I just noticed a shift at the very least when I was uh, watching an online service for a church that there was sort of this countdown moment before the service went live, and there was there was hosts that were streaming it live, and they did this countdown from ten down to one, mm-hmm. and then when the clock hit zero, I was like, boom, the lights went out in the congregation, uh, and the the light hit the worship leader, and I've talked to some people that are in that kind of a church experience as they're doing corporate worship, and they it's so dark in the auditorium itself that they don't even see the person next to him they can't even hear anything they can barely hear themselves sing mm-hmm. so i think at the very least it's turned it from more of a community corporate worship experience to a very individualized one just in the format and the way it's being set up and i don't know what we're losing in all of that but i think we're losing some stuff in well that. it seems to be less active yeah anyway i mean it becomes much more passive like i'm being entertained or i'm being worshiped at yeah yeah as opposed to actually worshiping i mean it's i mean it's really great to you know you have sometimes you have some amazing musicians and you know you have the little drummer boy up there and playing his drums for the lord which is awesome yep. um but i think you're right i mean i think it's you know without being critical i mean it it, it is just a different experience yeah and don't just um, sound better when you're singing next to someone who might sing well i mean you ever sing along with James Taylor and you go, I think I sound like James Taylor. I totally do. <laughs> I totally do. And then yeah. when you listen to the recording, it's more like, you know, Peter Brady. It's time to change. You got to rearrange. <laughs> oh, no. It's, yeah, there, I, but I think there is, there's something, um, there's lost in really being part of a bigger story than just my story. And when I'm just singing on my own, and, and, and I think uh, to your point as well that you just brought up that, uh, it, it's worshipped at to some degree, and I know being behind the scenes in churches and being part of the worship service planning, there's even the question, too, of the kind of people that are they hired performers that are brought from the outside that were maybe perhaps gigging somewhere on a Saturday night, and now they're sort of gigging on a Sunday morning as well. I know that's part of sort of the whole uh, worship community is wondering, do you raise up leaders in your church that are part of helping shepherd and pastor the entire congregation in their worship, or are you hiring your best musicians brought forward that are bringing sort of this best music that's being worshipped at? These are really big questions in the church. Yeah, and I sure. think the question that really is like, why are we going to do the things that we're going to do? It's like, right. you know, what kind of experience is it just to get more people in the door, or is or is there a real design in how we want to be able to worship the Lord and make sure? that other people are, you know, not just enjoying the experience, but really, you know, communing with the Lord. I mean, that's, that's our time to have community um, as one, as a congregational worship to, to see the Lord and taste and see that he's good. You know, for me, and, and maybe this is an age thing, but the Christian music I like is sacred. I don't want to hear rock music with Christian lyrics and strobe lights going around and people up dancing around, um, uh, if, if that's what you like, great. For me, it's not. And uh, the sacred music is unlike any other music yeah. that I hear. But I'm 62 years old as well, and I don't need a performance. I want to go worship. And so that's my bias. You know, songs like Wondrous Love and uh, just, you know, um, the songs I grew up with as a kid. So I guess whatever helps you worship, but for me, that's my bias, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it's an thing. Isn't no, it? I, you know, I don't know the George. I was just in a church last weekend, and uh, we sang an old hymn uh, that was the the line was, and I was referencing it this morning in the show of uh, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine! And mm. and I, when I sang it this time at forty eight, as opposed to maybe when I was twenty two, twenty four, when I'm not entirely sure what those lyrics meant, uh, there was a depth and a richness in those words in this old hymn that really struck me while I was standing there. And that idea of what a foretaste of the glory divine, I, I understand that now that the sense that this life is not all there is. And, you know, the older I get, the more I realize, you know, people do actually die <laughs> from what I understand. And, and if this life is all there is, then, um, 
there's really not a lot of hope. And that song just brought a tremendous amount of hope in my life in that moment because we just get a little taste of the glory that is to come. And that's what pulls us forward in this life and gives us hope in the midst of such difficult circumstances. And to your point, that to me felt like worship as opposed to a rock concert. And I'm not saying that, you know, rock songs can't be worshipful songs. Right. I just know that I don't want to cast aside the old songs as well because it was they're filled with the depth and richness and meaning. Yeah, having that balance of old and new is always kind of really cool. And especially, you know, you have folks like Indelible Grace and um, what's his name and uh, Kevin Twitz in Nashville and and some of the, the music that they're sort of reworking musically, some of the old hymns. Yeah. And so you just get a new flavor to, to the song and it's, you know, it kind of brings it alive in new ways. Uh, that you may not yeah. be, you know, it's like, oh, that, and then you really see and hear the lyrics, and it's like, man, that is amazing what yeah. was just written there. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody did a reprise of uh, It As Well, and it was just, it was, it, because that's, again, another song with just its depth and its richness, and they just brought a little different spin to it, but it retained the depth of it, and there's something about that that, again, I don't know what worship is supposed to be, but I know when there's sort of these strings of my soul that get plucked in the yep. middle of it, it's different than being entertained. There's there's an anchoring reality that happens yeah, at page it. Yeah, page I think is yeah, is that, is that what it is? Yeah, that's the name. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I did Bible study fellowship for many years. Yeah. Maybe you guys did too. And and one of the first nights I was there, Bill, we sang the last verse without the organ. Mm. And it was all men. And it's like, I got goosebumps. There you go. I did the same yeah. thing. And I, I just felt God's presence. And so I think whatever worship you do so that happens, that's like, you know, you felt the yeah. eternity there for a second for sure. and it's like when i hear uh, this is my father's world not a mm-hmm. real deep hymn i go back to with my dad and i'm going to see my dad again and i'm a little kid at the church and it's just yep. great you know so i guess whatever helps you get there yeah, yeah and but I, it, I remember listening to tim hughes this is a fairly new song you know here i am to worship and i mean it was just loud Overmodulated, these really cruddy PV speakers were in Belize. I mean, it's just, you know, and it was, but it was like the most beautiful moment. I think we played it for 25 minutes. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was really, uh, I think there's sometimes that God will surprise you and in, in, in when you find worship, because there's been yeah. times too where you are, I've been, you know, at a church that's just like cranking it out and it's, you know, it's just this amazing song and you don't know it, but you're just, you know, just listening to a song. Just like you know you listen to christian music on the radio yeah and suddenly you like you find yourself worshiping and back to what we said originally just kind of individually and not necessarily corporately yeah and I, you know i've heard theologians reference the idea that the veil between the realm of eternity and the realm of the space in which we occupy is a very thin veil at times and and i think that worship when it is in the heart of what you described however crazy the experience in belize was but i, I think there's a sense in which worship brings us to a place where that veil gets really thin sometimes and eternity kind of comes crashing into our time and space in ways that that I find sermons don't always do as much as I appreciate a good sermon. There's something about that whole reality of worship that does that. Well, I mean, music is just that way. I mean, if I started to say plop, plop, fizz, fizz, I mean, you'd right. probably be able to, or, you know, yeah. nationwide well, what, is on for your sure. side, I can, right? I can, you yeah, know, I can finish I all mean, those jingles, yeah. Just dun, 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 you know, what am I talking about, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you do the farmers one? Yeah, <laughs> we are farmers. farmers. Yeah, yeah, we can too. all, you know, that's what yeah, the powerful, so you know, musical, you know, kind of element that we have. I bet, we, I bet we're old enough in this room we could all sing the Big Mac song. <laughs> Right? Yeah, to all be Patty's special sauce yeah. for this cheese. Yeah, yeah. I think my original point was are we off the rails here? Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're on the rails, but are we missing something significant by drowning out the powerful male right. voices? When you know you talk about 
like the old Promise Keepers where there were 60,000 men singing mm. at once. Yeah. Every guy there said that was the most amazing moment ever. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, m- men might feel like there's one less thing they get to do at church and be recognized. And we're passive heard. enough already. Yes, we're passive enough yeah. already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting too, Bill. It calls to mind some research that I heard a few years ago in which um, there's something specific about even the tone of the male voice that, uh, especially for young teenage girls, that they go through a shift, especially at the time of adolescence and puberty, where they no longer can really hear the voice of their mother. They're, the voice of the mother just, it shifts in their ears and it sounds like screeching to them at that mm-hmm. point. And it's the voice of the father in that moment, sort of a deeper, lower uh, baritone. That doesn't mean the father's voice is better or worse than. It just means in seasons and if it's absent from, there, there's there's something about that tone and that tenor that I think we'd miss out on when it gets drowned out. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, and when I come back, I hope I'm in the studio in time because I've got to go get my power cord for my computer because my computer just went dead. Don't. So if I don't get back in time, i got radio professionals in here all over that. You just restart the show. You're right, listening you to yeah. Faith Radio. <laughs> I take Faith back radio. what I just said. <laughs> Talks underway. Always look forward to this time. And I've got quite the power panel today. As usual, Dr. Peter Kapsner is in the studio, George Fraser, co host of Real Recovery, and Mark Senius. So, Mark, you just got a brand new truck today, didn't you? Or I last did. Night? I yeah. got a new truck. Uh, a truck. Well, no, it's it's uh, well, it's a Honda Ridgeline, so it's more of a truck. <laughs> so it's not. A, it's not a, that's that's it's, how you it's, say it. It's, it's not a Ford F one fifty. You know, it would be a truck. I got myself a truck, but I got a truck. I got a truck. I got a truck. <laughs> it's a Honda Ridgeline truck. <laughs> not quite a truck. Yeah, but a truck. Yeah, yeah, that's hysterical. Yeah. Um, so let's. Uh, <laughs> Let's. I want to chat a little bit about uh, assumptions. Um, do we make a lot of assumptions, or do or do we ask questions? Are we good at asking questions, or do we just make assumptions? It depends if it's conflict or not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I te- I'll just say I'm terrible at it. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, you know, and and I know that I'm Is that supposed a guy to. I, you know. Mm, that's fair. I mean, I don't know too many people in my life that just are those kind of people that automatically and readily ask questions. I'm not sure if it's a gender thing as much. I just know I'm terrible at it for sure. George, why do you think that is, Peter? Well, a little self-centered, perhaps. <laughs> there, you know, I know but, everything. No, I, so I, know, I don't I need to. No, no, no. I, no, I think, I think it's, a, but I think you know, use the word assumption, <laughs> Bill. Um, I just assume that the way that uh, other people uh, process the world is the same way I process the world, and and yeah. you know, lo and behold, people are actually different from a personality standpoint, from an experience standpoint, and that's you know crazy so there's more questions the assumption for me that's flawed is i always think i'm right until proven wrong Uh, that's the basic flaw because otherwise why would i do what i do and i think for most people that's true if you break it down (laughs) we analyze stuff and the assumption is we know what we're doing and i don't so I don't know. Does yeah. that tie in at all? Boy, well, now you're asking me a question again. I this, am. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think there's a sense in which questions could reveal weakness potentially in, in the sense that I actually don't know what I'm talking about. And I know. Uh, and, and, <laughs> no, I would tell you so, I don't. And, and, I'm yeah, okay yeah, with I'm that. Not right sitting, I'm not saying anything. I'm just sitting over here. <laughs> Mark, my time in. I'm lost now. I'm done. You're done. Are you getting yeah. me in trouble again? 
No, I hope not. No. I just hope he's listening. But I think sometimes it's just sort of the nature of the question or sort of the nature of the conversation, you know, that sometimes if if it's something that does truly interest you, you're going to want to lean into it just a little bit. Yeah. And so then it's sort of like gets towards what, I mean, what are you desiring and what's, you know, what's going on in your head as far as, you know, what are you thinking about? And and it seems like that that probably would be somewhat of the equation. Well, yeah, and I think if you can just assume for half a second that you actually can't crawl into another person's head and assume what they're thinking and maybe the values that they're carrying in that situation, it does reveal a, a sense of mutuality. Like, you might actually care about another person, and, and there's a sense you can learn from them. I remember being on a pastoral right. ministry team once where one of our lead pastors of that team, she said, what, what is going to define our pastoral team of, of 10, 11, 12 people is a value of mutuality. Like, I would have thought she could have started with any number of values that were going to define the team. So I was a little taken aback by what she meant by that. But as she began to develop that, and as she developed a team of people that really tried to walk out mutuality, that somebody else's perspective was as valuable as your own, that's a really unusual environment, I think, in which to find yourselves. I think we kind of patronize each other from time to time, but to actually authentically value another person through questions is is a different skill set that I don't know, I, I don't carry it very well. Yeah. Well, when we, come, when we <clears throat> deal with yeah. assumptions, I'm just curious when people bring into the conversation. Now, now of course, climate change, the world's going to end in 12 years, and they <laughs> act course. like everyone assumes that to be true. Uh, so how good are we doing at standing up to stuff and saying, oh, well, wait, wait, put, let's put the brakes on a subject like whatever it is and stand up for biblical truth? So now it's more about critical thinking and apologetics as I, opposed yeah, to suppose, asking questions. I suppose, yeah. Right? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, well, that's a challenge the, for it's a challenge for all of us, I think. What's the biblical truth on climate change? I don't know. Okay. Uh, I no, don't either. That's no. I just No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying there's a biblical truth on climate change. I'm just saying when people uh say something and they assume that you believe it as well. Right. I read the, all yes. these blogs, so therefore I, this is what I'm going to believe. And so instead of asking questions or wondering what the source is or what the bias is of that, about that particular blog post or that newspaper that you're reading or whatever, you just sort of take it at face value and you, and you don't look at both sides of an issue um, you know, where, um, where you, you can start to do some discerning and figuring out you know, what really is true or what do I believe about this world. And that's where I think you know, sort of a systematic theology approach to life yeah. kind of plays in. Well, I think it does too. And I, and I think uh, I'll confess again, there's too many conversations in which I find myself that uh, I already sort of have a preconceived agenda about the way the conversation <laughs> should probably head. So I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> in that constant low-level tension battle with somebody else that's going back and forth about who is going to somehow win the conversation. And I don't even know that there should be winners in conversations, but more often than not, I'm kind of thinking about, so I'm going to respond to you in such a way not to take in your your view that might be helpful to me. I'm going to try to respond to it to maybe somehow subtly deconstruct it a bit. And boy, that happens. But that happens in business. That happens in, in any field in which we find ourselves, I think. You, yeah. want to, you, you say that. I totally agree with that. I used to be a salesman and now I'm a counselor. Yeah. The assumption for me, I have to ask questions because a lot of times I think I know what people mean when they don't. Hmm. And when you ask more questions, you break it down. But there's little words that you'll hear in conversations like left or climate change or something and their flare issues. And I think, okay, don't increase this. I'm making an assumption that that's what they mean. And a lot of times I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, but there are, I, I know what you're saying, Bill, about that. The, mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and then you kind of pull back and go, gosh, right. I don't want to get into yeah, this. Yeah, you feel like you have to defend your turf. Yeah. If, you know, if like, oh, you know, let's, I mean, like race reconciliation or something along those topics is very hotly debated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, man, you know, it's like we're, it's, where somebody says something and immediately it just it just gets flared up and you know there's just so much tension in the room and it's like to keep that part of it just to keep the topic at where the topic level but like once we're done talking about it mm-hmm. it's like well let's just you know let's go out and have something to eat you want to get some coffee whatever right that kind of thing when i was in uh, nigeria people i was these people just i mean they had they got out of the car like they were lost and and they just like had this intense argument. I mean, it was just like <laughs> shouting. And cr- it was like, you know, we we're getting a little uncomfortable sitting in the car. It's like, and then it was, and then suddenly it was over. It's like, hey, all right. You know, it's like, they were like laughing and, you know, chumming. It was almost like as if it were a show. It's like, man, I want to have those kind of conversations yeah. when you can have just, you know, really intense, but then you can walk away and just, you know, and, and smile. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here's a listener question. And Peter, I'm already looking your direction. Uh-oh. When Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Were they actually forgiven? You know, we've sort of, we've danced around that topic a couple of times in different ways, I think, uh, Bill, over the weeks. But uh, there's that there's that sense in which uh, the question is, do you have to ask for forgiveness in order to be forgiven? And I don't know that there's a clear answer to that in the scripture uh, that, that goes to that. But there's, uh, my understanding of forgiveness is that it, it breaks a power that is destructive and disordered between two people or, be, you know, in this case, between God and another person. So if I take that as a definition, that there's no longer a destructive power that lies between us that will wreak havoc in the relationship. I, I think if a person is unwilling to ask for forgiveness, I think that that destructive power remains on some level. So I, I think you can maybe forgive another person on some level so that you're not participating in that, but that doesn't mean that the relationship is reconciled in any way. So I don't mm-hmm. think there's a full-breasted forgiveness that happens there in that situation. But specifically, Jesus was forgiving the soldiers that were nailing him to the cross. So, Father, forgive them, for they don't they don't know what they're doing. So Yeah, I mean, it's I'm a sure fair question. Were, I'm sure yeah. Jesus knew what he was saying, and I'm sure they were forgiven. Yeah, I think the danger that people are concerned about, if you say, hey, that they're forgiven, then that would lead to some sort of form of pseudo-universalism where yeah. everybody gets forgiven whether they've asked for it or not. Yeah. And so I think that's a concern. So, I, I, frankly, well, I'd want to dig into that a little further. I don't have a PhD here, but uh, let me weigh in on this yeah, if please. you don't mind. If the only one who can forgive our sins is Jesus and he prays to forgive these guys, that's a done deal. And I don't think he could go into pseudo-universalism, whatever that is. It sounds good. <laughs> and that Jesus is still doing it. So I, I, I'm going to, this will destroy your whole argument, Arnold, but I'm going to agree with you on this. <laughs> well, there's a first. Or we yeah, no, I, you know, I wouldn't claim that I would have a, a definitive answer in that it's one. An interesting it's interesting question. A very, it's a very fair question, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, so, what level is that forgiveness? I get, you know, is it just for that act or is it for, do you have forgiveness for all things, I'm going to die for you, forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, okay, and I'm going to go out on a limb here. So. If you nailed Jesus to the cross, the other ones are probably lesser. You think? You know? yeah. I don't know. I don't know. All right, you're listening to Real Recovery. Let us know what your question is, 877-933-2484. My power panel today is George Fraser, co-host of Real Recovery, Dr. Peter Kapsner, and Mark Senius, who just bought a truck. He'll be right it's back. A truck. A truck. <laughs> Not a truck, but a truck.
right, Guide Talk is happening. Let us know uh, if you have a question or something you'd like us to discuss, 877-933-2484. George Fraser, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Mark Seniors, and myself will tackle as best we can any topic. Almost came to blows during the break. Uh, We did. (laughs) There was a melee going on in here. It got ugly. All right, um, I'm curious when you uh, try to have a, a conversation with somebody over their lifestyle, they might be... Uh, living in a in a, a, a sin, they might be. I know there's different ways to confront a believer versus a non-believer, but whenever you start to talk to them and they say you're being judgmental, how can you soften that blow? How can you uh, try to be loving and get them to hear without getting that run down your throat? <laughs> Welcome so, to Guy Talk. Welcome yeah, to yeah. Guy Talk. Yeah, yeah. We're glad you're here. Mark's got a new truck, so we can talk about the truck. It's a truck. It's black, isn't it? It's a black truck. It's black. Yeah, it's black. It's black. 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 (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, the the tricky dimension, I'll take a whack at it. Yeah, go ahead. You know, Bill, the tricky dimension you bring up is that there's such a, I think, a misunderstanding of what it, even what Jesus meant when he said, do not judge. And and I I think there's there's a sense in which that, gee, what Jesus really meant is that you should stay silent about everything and permit everything. And, and, uh, when, when he was talking about the word judgment in that text, there and there's a couple different words for judgment in the biblical text. One of them is a, a judgment that we're never to do. So sometimes they'll say, I hope I am the least judgmental person that you've ever met. And, and it's a judgment that says that you are now beyond the pale. You are without hope. You are forever condemned. That is it. There is no hope and no future in, in the kingdom. And so when Jesus says, do not judge, that's the kind of judgment he's talking about because the Pharisees were doing just that. They were saying to people, you are a sinner. You have no hope. You have no future. And Jesus said, give me a break. Anybody can turn and be redeemed in my kingdom. So don't ever judge in that way. But there's a different judgment. And so sometimes I'll say, I'm, I hope I'm the most judgmental person that you ever meet. And that is that we're called to as believers. And that's the ability to discern things that are actually good and consistent with God's kingdom and those things that are not. Now, that's not helpful in the conversation when somebody's like, you're so judgy, quit judging me. Mm-hmm. You're not going to sit there and explain all of that to them. But I think having an idea even of what we're talking about can then help somebody maybe begin to process a little bit. So how do I approach this right now? in the situation. I don't, I find in that kind of conversation, I don't have a silver bullet phrase that suddenly just breaks the, you know, the tension apart or anything like yeah. that. So. Yeah. I'm just terrible. I, okay. I mean, sometimes, especially, and I find this more when it's confronting my children where I, you know, I, I forget to just love them where they are mm-hmm. and I get so wrapped up in sort of what they may have done wrong um, and how they need to fix that. And I think that sometimes we just get into that mode that we got to fix, but we're not in the fixing business, you know, where we need to love. And it was an analogy uh, made recently with a, a friend of mine. And, you know, it's like we're like houses, right, that need remodeling. And that as much as we are houses that need remodeling, there's nothing that we as houses can do to be remodeled. We have to have someone come in and remodel for us. And so that's, you know, that's, you know, so that's Jesus has to do all that work. And so I think when we sort of step back and kind of slow our speech down, I think it's, you know, he talks about slow to anger and slow to speak mm-hmm. is to, you know, take, you know, take that log out of your own eye before you, you do say anything yeah. and try to just remember that these are you know that if if someone is in a lifestyle or doing something that is you that you find man i just wish you were different right. um to just take a step back and remember that you know there are three things in this world there's god other people and you and only one of them is going to change mm. So. Mm. nicely said mm, yeah i like that yeah i do i like that too that verse judge not least you be judged um for by the same measure you judge others you too will be judged i've always thought 
that when I start getting intolerant, which was one of my relapse warning signs, I'm very judgmental on you, but I'm also very judgmental on me. And I think the second part of that verse is eternal because God's not going to change his standards because of what I do. Right. 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 But who do I have the right to judge? I can discern. But if you had a problem and I have somewhat of a relationship with you, even though I don't forgive you, we talked about that. (laughs) Um, I come to you caring because I don't recall anybody in my life, Bill, coming telling me what I'm doing wrong where it's been helpful. Uh, maybe for them. Right. But I think, you know, we got to do it in love because, what it, you know, everything is worthless outside of love. Yeah. So how you say it is just as important as what you say, I think. Yeah, I think oh, so, yeah. too. And I think that there's this sort of false uh, opposite being set up in our culture right now and in so many of our conversations that you either are a judgmental person or you're a loving person. And I think that really paralyzes us so much because I think most of us really do want to love, but those are not actual opposites. I mean, because what that means is that judge means that you are are way too condemning and you just sort of assert yourself over them. Loving, by contrast, is you just sort of permits everything. And and love in the kingdom context, in the way that I would understand it, is the idea that I am more concerned about your wholeness than I am for my own and I'm willing to lay down my life for your benefit as opposed to me. That's a little different. And so if somebody's walking in a way that is terribly inconsistent with God's kingdom, it's going to lead to ruin at some point. Maybe not right at that moment, but at some point it's going to lead to ruin. And so what does it mean to be a loving person? It doesn't mean you have to say something right in that moment, but what does it mean to be on the journey with somebody where you're more concerned for their wholeness? And sometimes that might mean saying something, but boy, it's pretty unusual when that window opens to be able to say something. Yeah. I uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, there's we so focus a lot on the, the gladness of God, and we right. do forget the gravity. I mean, he's he's a just God, so he's one of judge, judges, and so, but there is a loving part of him, and they are a compatible, they are compatible. compatible thing. And I think of, you know, like Rosaria Butterfield and her conversion, and, you know, here's, you know, that the, the pastor and in the area that she was living in, you know, just loved her. You know, it's like, hey, come on over and, you know, just let her be who she was, and, yep. you know, they have the conversations, and, and you you know, and then just God gets revealed and, you know, he does the work. Yeah. Uh, well, this came up for me. Um, get your input on this. I, I breakfast a couple of weeks ago with some old friends and I was talking to uh, a lady uh, about what church she was going to. I had a relationship with her and she's going to an ELCA church now. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason is uh, a good friend of hers who I'm good friends with is gay. And she doesn't want to be judgmental towards him. She loves him. I get that. And I said, you know, I love him too, but it's not working for him. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make me love him any less because I really do love this guy. He's a great guy. But it's killing him and his life's not working. So, you know, how does that help? And 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 I think she's great. I You know, very nice and a, a Christian. But I think we've got to love them in a way that lifts them up. And I'm going to love you no matter what you do on this, but there's a better way. Fair? I think that's really fair. And I think what you're talking about too, George, it speaks to the need as believers and as institutional churches that we increasingly present a hopeful vision of a kingdom in which there really is peace and joy and love. And some of these old tired words, but they actually do persist among the people because I, I think 
we so often think bearing witness is like telling everybody what they're doing wrong somehow, as opposed to being a compelling light that draws people in as this hopeful vision so that when this person you're describing, it's not working for them. I don't care what it is. I mean, Correct. it could be pursuing a career for a lifetime and you realize this isn't working for me or this related, that sort of thing. You have this sort of hopeful vision towards which you're drawn as opposed to uh, saying yes to Christianity somehow because everything you're doing is wrong. So I better say yes to something. That's not a hopeful vision that invites people in. Well said. Well, thanks. Yeah. Do you forgive me now? No. Not yet. It's, it's one very man, conditional one forgiveness. Man could, okay, yeah. yeah well, thanks, George. Yeah. You can, can you feel the love? <laughs> I don't know why I sing. It's the only time I sing during the entire week. Hey, when like, you can bring in Lion King, anytime you can bring in Lion King, I'm all in. I mean, like a piano sure. over here. Like, I'm like Paul Schaefer. <laughs> all right. I want to talk a little bit about habits. And let me read something. Uh, Kent Dunnington is a, a, a guest of my show. I really like him. He's written a book on addiction and virtue. And, you know, he says that a lot of health professionals assume addiction is a brain disease uh, because the abuse of drugs leads to changes in the structure and function of the brain. He said, however, though, playing the cello does the same thing. Memorizing the Old Testament does the same thing. Hmm. Do we call those diseases? Of course, the answer is no. Uh, But he says that Addiction is not simply a physical disease or a weakness of the will, but to understand it correctly, he said, we need to resurrect an old spiritual category, habit. He said, we have habits because we are embodied creatures. Most of our behaviors are not under our conscious control. That's a great gift from God. If we had to concentrate on brushing our teeth or tying our shoes every time we did it, life would be impossible. Hmm. Well, I think we're talking about idols and we're talking about desires. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like what, you know, we're going to, um, I think it was John Piper who said, you know, we en- what we enjoy most is what we glorify. Yes. And so, you know, it's like, so if in our life, you know, what are we, what are we doing, um, you know, as far as devotion or not doing devotion or, you know, how you, you know, like for me, I elevate food, you know, where it's, it sometimes becomes an idol and, you know, for me and, and I, I mean, I really like food. I like going to restaurants that have great food. I love preparing great food. I can have conversations about food till, you know, for the rest of the day, if you wanted to talk about, you know, the best cheeseburgers in the twin cities, Mm -hmm. man, let's, let's go at it and we can talk for a good hour about Mm -hmm. that. And it's like, so my heart, you know, has a tendency to just to elevate food probably more, and I spend more time sometimes thinking about food than I probably do. You know, who who Christ is and what He did for me, and um, and yeah, just His compassion and His and His just generally awesome way that He is. So, I mean, that's what it seems to me. But. Yeah. So, are habits something that can really help us lead great productive lives, as well as it can destroy us? Yes. And how are we as men dealing with the habits in our lives? Yeah, boy, I, and I can't think of too many times, Bill, where I set out proactively to sort of create a new habit, mm-hmm. which is part of what was being suggested there. But I can find all kinds of habits that I sort of just fall into, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, just through the sort of the things of life. And and I think to just take stock of that a little bit, I mean, in light of what you're saying, I'm sitting here realizing, hmm, I should take stock of a few of the habits that I don't even really realize I'm doing anymore. But that's kind of the nature of the habit, right? I, yes. And, and I... And I think you can develop uh, some real positive habits again where you begin to just become the kind of person without even realizing that that's the person you're in a positive way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Is, isn't the presence of small things that make relationships good and the absence of small things that can make relationships difficult? Yeah. yeah and those, I, are, those are habits, aren't they? They for sure mm-hmm. are. You and know. those can change, right? They can. Yes, I, I, I mean, I think even about parenting and uh, and 
the habits that you want to develop with your kids. And to your point, the small things, you know, yeah, do my kids want to go to Disney World? Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really great and grand and big thing. But I'll tell you what, just a simple little sort of Marco Polo video message uh, for two minutes in a day is something that is going to bring life into their world and their world to mine as well as we interact on that level. But that develops a habit. There has to be a sort of a rhythm that goes with it. That's a silly one, but boy, it really makes a difference in the relationship for sure. Mm-hmm. And George, you love your habits in the morning? Sure. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm I mean, as great at Christian if there's not coffee. I don't think I, I get that. I get that. But I, I just want to let our listeners know George uh, is you know been sober 35 years this week. That's amazing. He's got George. his 35 year medallion. Yeah, and I can't say it's because I've got virtue enough to change my habits. Yeah. It's a god deal. I and I'm familiar with that book because you gave it to me and I understood parts of it. I think the problem is we can do habits that do cause disease. And I think it's got to get back to, okay, the good habits I have, I can't take credit for, so they're God-given, you know, and the desire to do it. So I can't take your inventory if you don't do it as well as I do. And maybe you struggle with food, but I don't. I do. Um, You know, we struggle with more. Um, It's an interesting theory. I guess I'm more of a solutions guy. What's going to help us do that? And is identifying it as a habit uh, versus a disease or whatever, is that going to be helpful? I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm all for who's ever struggling to get them to God and to help them. And and it's, it's well thought out. I remember a guy wrote a book on virtues that was very popular back with evangelicals many years ago, Bill. And then it turned out, I believe it was the same guy, had this huge gambling problem that wasn't talked mm. about in the book. It was a great book. Um, so we all got our stuff, right? Yeah, yep. for sure. We'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more with Guide Talk. Uh, if you have a question, let us know. 877-933-2484. Back to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. And uh, Guy, hey, Mark. Just uh, enjoying Guy Talk. Uh, if you have a topic or a question, let us know what it is, 877-933-2484. That'd be a text. And uh, George Fraser, Dr. Peter Kapster, Mark Senius, and myself would be happy to tackle anything. Um, so what do you guys want to talk about now? My truck. <laughs> Mark got a new truck, and he can't but wait. But I didn't get a truck. I, I got a truck. It's yeah. a Honda Ridgeline truck yeah. as opposed to a truck. Yeah, it's not the manliest thing out there, but no, it's, it's probably really nice, isn't but it? But is, it is swell. It's like driving the space shuttle. <laughs> you can't wait to leave and go in. It's just like, you? can we get the show over with? Because I, yeah. I want to go drive somewhere. Yeah. No, it's... Uh, it's fun getting a new car. It's brand new, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I got it last night, so I'm wow. very, very excited about yeah. this thing. I'm surprised you cool. agreed to even do this show today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's not... Well, the weather's kind of bad yeah. outside in the middle of the Twin Cities at the moment. and So, yeah. And Peter, you've got a son that's uh, listening uh, in Scotland right now. I How cool do, is that? I do. Well, it was, you know, we... Um, 
a long story, but we ended up doing a bit of a homeschool semester abroad uh, this term. And so my, my kids, my five kids and my wife are actually listening in Scotland as we speak. It's probably about 10 o'clock at night there, and I'll be traveling back and forth over the next couple nice. of months. So, yeah, nice. indeed. Listener just jumped in with, uh, what, is, what is the line between loving and enabling, especially with adult kids? Wow. Yeah, but I mean, I think that goes right to the heart of what we right. talked about in the previous segment, right? That's when, why the question we, you came know, when, in, yeah. yeah, when we confuse love with permission and enabling and those kinds of things, and in love is that I don't have anything to say about anything. I mean, I think some of it, right, is that we're so disconnected from one another that it's really tricky to be in a kind of relationship where you trust another person enough to say, hey, hang on a minute, that mode of behavior, that way of life, those, all of that kind of stuff, we might want to talk about that stuff. I have very few people in my life that I feel like I can trust with that to do the loving thing that they are concerned about my wholeness and so they speak to me about it. Uh, love is not about silence and it's not about permission and enabling, but I think it really does reveal the lack of relationships many of us have that can actually experience the kind of kingdom love where somebody's entirely for you and uh, and the reason why they're saying the things they are is because they're for you. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, I mean, I've, like I've had the conversation with one, my oldest son is like, you know, I've been entrusted by God to, uh, to raise you up. And this is the kind of household that we're going to have. And if you're not going to live within that realm, I mean, as much as I love you, I can't have you here because you're, you just want to rebel against the, the land, the life that we have here. And we just can't, we can't, we cannot live that way. Mm-hmm. And so you need to make a choice on whether, where you want to live here or you want to live somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it was a hard conversation, but it, you know, and it, and it eventually worked out wonderfully. And, you know, he began to see, like, well, I can't just do everything I want. I can't just be, you know, permissive to be able to do whatever. I mean, there there is a way that you have to live. If I profess from my lips that I have and I believe in Jesus, then I can't live that way. Mm-hmm. Another question, cool. uh, drag queen story time for six-year-olds at the library. How should a parent respond? I don't know, dress up with them. I don't know. Yeah, that's probably not the answer they were looking for. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, you yeah. know, but it's but it's like you know that's not the end of the world. I mean, it's like why are they, I mean, it's like they're having a good time. I mean, my my son, you know, danced around and we went to the Nutcracker and you know then he would dance around in the you know the the house like he was you know a ballerina and mm-hmm. it's just like you know I'm not going to get worked up about that. It's just like you know he's six. Yeah. Can you define drag queen? I probably can't. Okay. I mean, it's no, I, per- and I don't mean to. Maybe no. my answer came across as very, um, you know, curse or you know whatever, but um, or perhaps a little too blunt. It was the was the scenario a, a young a child who was dressing up, or was no, it no, a no, drag no, no, queen no, it, who was influencing the children? No, there's there is now a program where drag queens oh. do story time. So I was a little surprised the way you responded. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you a chance to reset. <laughs> but, but a yes. person... See, well, let's talk about listening. Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> You've just got that truck on your mind. So the drag queen is... A, oh, I thought the six-year-old was dressing no, up. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. The, yeah, the drag queen it. is doing story time at the library for <sighs> six-year-olds. And so a parent is quite... A, person is wondering how a parent should be responding and i would say what yeah, you parent? might want to think twice about no, that um i'm glad we know. cleared this up by yeah. the way too <laughs> you might want to you might want to think you know yeah it's yeah i mean you got to decide what you know you certainly want your kids okay. to be um you don't want your kids to be naive in the world that's for sure right. you want them to be innocent and so i mean right. it, to explain it's like why you can't you know if you're at the library and there's story time it's like well you know we're just not going to do that right now and i guess it depends on sort of what's being read and how flamboyant or agenda driven yeah. that story time might be cuz a 6-year-old may not even notice or connect that you know so it's, i mean 
you know, so it's like to give that person, you know, maybe a chance or something. But it's like I would definitely yeah. there would I wouldn't be rushing through that door. Probably It'd be a little bit more discerning. Yeah, well, and I, and I think you know, I mean, we're also impressionable, right? But oh man, our six year olds impress, right. impressionable young kids are. And, and and when you're talking about a six year old, you're talking about somebody who is not sitting there thinking in contrast, is right. not sitting there thinking, you know what? I know healthy and holy sexuality is between a man and a woman and that there's, you know, binary gender. They're not thinking those things. And so they're not thinking, boy, this dragon queen is really different than what would be consistent with God's kingdom. And so because that's true, I don't, you know, at what age do you just, you just simply need to shield your kids. And, yep, and, and I think there's the legitimate conversation I know for when, when we were growing up, Mark, I don't know how it was for you guys, uh, George, too. There, there was enough of a commonality between like school systems and other environments with faith that you could kind of live in the tension of the both and. But it seems like increasingly the, the values are in such dichotomy. There's such a, they just don't match up. And I don't know at what level as a parent, how do you discern how to shepherd your kids where you do the shielding thing? I know for us as parents, we've sometimes said, you know, we're not here to uh, protect them entirely from the darkness of this world, but we want to be within, with them as they're walking into those yeah. dark spots. But a six-year-old, I, I mean, my gut would say, take them out of the environment. Yeah, and I also think it's like I remember being at a, at a coffee shop, and and so I was with uh, a friend of mine who just had a baby, and, and so it was just the two of us, right? Yeah. And... And so and he's got the baby, and, and then there was somebody that was standing in line, looked at me, looked at my friend, who's a guy, yep. looked back at me, with, looked figured. at the baby, yep. looked at the guy, looked back at me, the baby, the guy, the me, the baby, <laughs> and, just, and then just like, you know, got this look of disgust and just walked out. Uh-huh. And, and it's like, well, you know, back to assumptions, you right. know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, that that person made an assumption about me. Now, if, you know, if I'm dressed up as a as a woman, then I I think that their assumption might be a little bit more on Right. Target, but right. but I think that sometimes you know, yeah, it's 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 the way that we react sometimes when we Agreed. if we see something a situation like that. It's like how can I respond lovingly in this and yet still rightly in this, and so I'm not compromising what I believe. But yeah. I couldn't have picked a worse time to not really. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that was painful. Wow, that you was guys, no wonder you guys sort of looked at me and sort of like, wow, I was he's panicked. Really, yeah, 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 you I know thought, what? I think you oh, saved wow. your truck. I was yeah. worried about it. At the yeah, you know, yeah. Billy, guys, the thing for me. And Mark is that um, I want to love the person, but it seems like we're forced to endorse the behavior. Correct. That's yeah, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and I'm not going to do that. Right. right. You Absolutely. Know? You can't. But then I'm going to be called. Um, I'm discriminating, and it's hate right. speech and right, all that. Right. And I think that's when you really got to get your Christian friends together and bond together. Uh, that I need some strength to lift me yeah. up because I'm making a stand here. <laughs> Not because I hate the person. I hate the behavior and the sin. Absolutely. And, and I don't always have the strength on my own to do that. And I need to communicate that to yeah. little kids, you know, because uh, that's not correct behavior. Yeah, right. Well, you said that well, too, George. And I think, you know, again, we get a little bit misconception about what unconditional love is. You know, where, well, you should just be unconditionally loving as if that means you're unconditionally endorsing. And unconditional love is, again, to use that phrase, that it extends to everybody that you desire the wholeness for all things. And, and you can unconditionally desire that. That doesn't mean you endorse all things. It does mean that you desire the wholeness of it. And, and I think there's such confusion about what love constitutes in in our country, because it's you said a great word. Endorsing is the equivalent of love, and that is just so out of bounds in terms of they're not synonyms at all. Yeah, that's it's that's I think that's a big hard truth because like how can I yeah, make that stand yet still, you know, 
not condemn that person, but, you know, I, I want to truly love them. Right. Because, I mean, there's, you know, as long as you're breathing, I mean, then God, there's hope for you. Right. Brought that in Spurgeon just a couple of days ago. I mean, yeah, you beautiful. know, it's like Jesus is, you know, he's going to be there as long as you're breathing. Jesus yeah. can change your heart like that. And so there's always hope. It may be hopeless, but I think the kingdom of the world is shown too many times where we've had people in our own lives where it's like, it's impossible. There's no way. Yeah. So it's like, but then, and then they do. And so it's like, well, you know, we can't just cut the moment off either, but we still have to protect at the same time. So I think the way to react is probably just as important as anything else. That's good analysis, you guys. I'm, I'm really breaking down the line. I mean, we went from You're... truck to drag queen to that. That's pretty <laughs> solid. I know that that was actually the last 15 minutes of the show has been making me quite nervous, but I, I'm glad we were able to sort yes. all this out. Um, so, thank you uh, guys for coming in. It's been really, really a lot of fun. I was uh, great to be here. I do enjoy Guide Talk, and I know the listeners do too. I got a lot of nice uh, texts from people that say this this is interesting banter and. Really nice to kind of eavesdrop on this conversation. So, uh, guy talk lives on another day. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's you know, been a why pleasure. Not? Why not? Thanks, yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah, George. Thanks so much, George Fraser, Dr. Peter Capser, and Mark Senior. have been my guests. Mark's got his new truck. He can't truck. wait to go. Can't wait to go get in it. So, uh, <laughs> some people have a truck. I got a truck. Got a truck. All right. So uh, we'll take a little break, and then when we come back, Deep Thinker Thursday. Normally, uh, John and Pam Bloom. Pam's not with us today, but it's going to be John, and we're going to have a very interesting uh, topic that's uh, kind of hot in the news right now. So that's all coming up next. Uh, Be back in about uh, three minutes. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.